Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Report Podcast, episode 259. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games. Technically, I'm not here today, though. It's another one of those weeks where I'm out this weekend, so I can't actually record a podcast. So we're doing a more general podcast that doesn't fit the standard formula. I figured we would do a follow-up to our Castlevania Tier Maker list, where I went through all the Castlevania games that I have played, and basically ranked them on a tier list. And with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 coming up shortly here, I thought it might be fun to go through the games that I've played from Monolith Soft and rank them in a tier here. Um, So that's what we'll be doing today. Uh, Previously, I have done a podcast that was like my history with Monolith Soft. It was a long time ago. I have not listened to it recently, but I'll give you a quick little summary of like how I got into Monolith Soft here before we get started. But if for some reason you don't know who Monolith Soft is, they're basically the developer of the Xeno franchise. So Xeno Gears, well, technically Xeno Gears, like a lot of the same people from Xeno Gears, but not really the developer. They came into fruition afterwards, after you know the, the developers of Xeno Gears basically left Square Enix. Um, but then you have Xeno Saga. Xenoblade is what they're most known for now, um, but you know they also have worked on other franchises, including like Namco uh, spinoff titles that have like cross, uh, uh, like uh, really, literally they're called like Namco Cross Capcom, you know Project Cross Zone things like that, right? So they're these multi-company uh, like strategy RPGs, things like that. So um, they have a lot of interesting games that they've released over the years. Spot and Kaitos being another one on the GameCube. So, um, yeah, and so they're, they're mostly known today for the Xeno franchise, though. Um, but as we get through here, you can see, you'll probably be able to tell that, like, I'm not, like, the biggest Xeno fan as much as I feel like I'm a Monolith Soft fan. Um, but I still like the Xeno games quite a bit. So exactly how I got into the Monolith, or got into Monolith Soft games is kind of a weird path. So um, initially, the first thing I ever touched, like, my hands on with Monolith Soft is Xeno Saga. My dad just happened to look at the game and say, this looks like an anime thing. And bought me a copy. Um, and at the time, I did not play through it because really, I just was not good at long form RPGs. It wasn't until Tales of Symphonia in like 2004 or, or somewhere around that time that I that I actually sat down and could like sit through like a, you know, 30 to 50 hour RPG. So that was kind of the first hoop that had to be jumped there. And after that, after Tales of Symphonia, I kind of got into GameCube RPG. So I kind of kind of naturally ended up playing um, Bottom Kaitos. And um, part of that whole thing was I started to become more of a Tri-Ace fan. And uh, Tri-Crescendo, who is kind of like related to Tri-Ace in, in a way I won't get into for this, um, worked on Bot and Kaitos alongside Monolith Soft. So at this point, I still have no idea who Monolith Soft is. Um, and then fast forward years later, I see this trailer for a game on the Wii called Disaster Day of Crisis. And I'm like, oh yeah. Disaster Day of Crisis looks awesome. And at that time, I was starting to get more into like understanding who different developers were and things like that. So I was like, who is making Disaster Day of Crisis? I was like, oh, this weird RPG, like this RPG developer is working on this action game. That's kind of bizarre. Oh, and I own two of them. I own Botan Kaitos and I love Botan Kaitos. Um, and then and Xeno Saga, which I had not sat down and played. And then I kind of started playing the Xeno franchise after that. You know, Xenoblade Chronicles got announced as Monado being in the new world and so on and so on. And here I am today playing, a, I would say, 
at least over 50% of their games. I'm not sure the exact number, but I've played the majority of their major games and I've dabbled into some of their side games a little bit here. So we're going to go through the ranking list here. I'm going to talk about each game individually as we do so. Um, unlike the Castlevania list where I kind of like set a bottom to mid to top tier um, on this list uh, at first to kind of like set our boundaries, I, I think that kind of took away from like the the like interesting parts of it, like when, when a game would get like an S rank or something like that because it's all already laid out from the start. So instead I wrote my notes down here on the side and so I have where I think they're going to go, but as I talk about them, I might shift them. So, um, but I think we'll start with just, you know, going from essentially left to right here on this actual chart here. And unfortunately, the first two on this list are games I have not played. So Namco X, Capcom, PlayStation 2, Strategy RPG. Um, just to say, you know, why I have not played this game is I believe, I'm pretty certain there's a fan translation for this game and has been for a very long time. I remember looking into the Magic Swap specifically because I wanted to play this game. I don't know if I knew at the time if Modelist Soft had worked on it, but I do know I was interested in playing the game. And unfortunately, even today, I've not really set up a, a, a setup for me to play like a fan translated um, import PS2 game at this point. It's something I want to do. And thankfully, there's a lot more resources to, to do that today. Um, so I think that is a potential something that might happen in the near-ish future. When Near-ish for me is like sometimes years away. But, you know, you know, sometime within the next half decade, Namco X Capcom might happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and then so the next game I have not played here is Soma Bringer. And I do have a copy of Summer Bringer. I, one of my goals when I went to Japan was to get every DS Monolith Soft game that I did not have that was not localized, essentially. Um, so I, uh, went ahead and, and which actually seeking of it, I don't see Xenosaga 1 and 2 on this list for the DS. So wow. This, this list is a failure. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, I don't really have much to say about that right now either. We might revisit that. But anyway, so Soma Bringer, again, fan translated. It's ready to be played. Um, I was just trying to get my own copy. I got my copy. And this was going to be, I was going to try to finish Soma Bringer before Xenoblade Chronicles 3 came out. But when they moved the date up on Xenoblade Chronicles 3, I'm like, this probably isn't happening. So unfortunately, I've set that to the side. As far as I'm aware, it's like kind of like an isometric action RPG. So anyways, now we can actually rank a video game, Disaster Day of Crisis, my one true love. If you don't know, behind my green screen over here, I have a Disaster Day of Crisis poster from Sweden. I love Disaster Day of Crisis. However, Disaster Day of Crisis is a very mixed game. And when I first got Disaster Day of Crisis, I honestly um, was a little disappointed. You know, I was a big fan of a game called Blue Stinger on the Dreamcast. And I really liked just kind of the over-the-top, weird, off-the-wall, B-movie nature of that game. And Disaster Day of Crisis does have that, but it's a little more cleaned up in that regard. So it doesn't feel as crazy as something like a Blue Stinger. And at the time, I think I was disappointed in that. But over time, I think I, I have my, my feelings on it have mellowed out a little bit. You know, what, what's really cool about this game uh, as a Wii game is it does a lot to um, do interesting thing with the Wii or motion controls, you know? this channel. I'm a big fan of the Wii. I love games that use motion in like interesting ways. And Disaster Day of Crisis tries to do this through, you know, not only uh, the, the running segments, which is probably the most effective, you know, when you're running away from a tidal wave or running away from whatever, you know, it, it does give you like that physical sense of exhaustion that you're getting, you know, from, from the action that's happening on screen and what's happening with Ray and they pace it out enough where you're not, you know, constantly waggling the controller. It's just for this particular scenario. Um, but there's also a variety 
variety of mini games where you have to like lift up and things like that. And while none of it like is nearly as good as the running segments, I think it overall is like a fun game full of fun gimmicks. And and it does t- like not take itself too seriously. It lets you like, you know, get junk that you can throw at enemies and things like that. It's very cool in that regard. Um, and and I think the story is, is is fun as well. If you if you are looking to play Disaster Day of Crisis, first and foremost, I will say there's really no connection to Monolith Soft on this game. It is like other than that they made it. Um, but like there's there, like I've had people say, oh, should I play Disaster Day of Crisis as a Monolith fan or a Xeno fan? I'm like absolutely not. There's like that. Like if you want to play Disaster Day of Crisis, you need to be into games like Disaster Report or something like that, probably, or just like Wii games in general that 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 are kind of cool action you know, kind of game. So it's a very cool Wii game that I would recommend to most people who want to play a diverse Wii game with a lot of motion controls, but it's not really like a crazy good model of soft game. So as much as I love Disaster Day of Crisis, I feel like it it might be a C on this list just because, you know, I do think that there's a lot of things they could have done to make it better. Um, not only from like, you know, better fleshing out some of the motion control ideas. I think with Wii motion controls in particular, you know, you want to have those action your actions you're doing feel like they reflect what's happening on screen. And if it feels like it's a button input and not, you know, your action doing something in the game, um, you know, so like you waggle and it feels like you're pressing a button by waggling kind of thing. Um, I think that feels bad. And, and, and most games that do that, I think kind of fail at, at being good Wii games. So I was saying it can't work, but I, I think that's frequently how it is. And, and Disaster Day of Crisis has many motion controls that feel that way, unfortunately. But it is a fun game. It has a fun story. And, it, and if, again, if you're into Disaster Day of, like those, or, or into those kind of like B movie action things, I highly recommend Disaster Day of Crisis. The European version is the better version to get. So I'd recommend playing the PAL release there. Um, the Japanese version actually has a different voice track. I did a video comparing the Japanese and English voice tracks for Disaster Day of Crisis. And, um, and while the, while it does seem very minor, um, there's a lot of things that were cleaned up in the Japanese or from the Japanese script. And I think it was largely for the better. It made it feel more like a B movie story rather than just kind of like slightly poorly written in a way that didn't really come off as funny as it just kind of came off as weird in some scenarios. So Disaster Day of Crisis, I think we're setting on a C, although I'll reserve the right to move these around as we need to. Um, we're going to skip over Botan Kaito's Origins real quick because it is a sequel to Botan Kaito's, uh, I believe it's Eternal Eternal Wings. I don't remember the full name, actually. The Lost Ocean or something like that. Um, so like I said, this is kind of the first Monolith Soft game that I played through. Um, and I was really scared about playing this game initially because I, I had a really hard time with RPGs growing up. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't get through most of them and I had played many games where I didn't understand their core mechanics at all. Um, a, a very clear example of this is not an RPG, but Dark Cloud for the PlayStation 2. When I played that game, I had no idea that crafting was a thing, even though that was like its core mechanic and like how crafting should work. And so it just, it just confused me at the time because I just didn't like, I don't know, I just was not particularly good at those kind of things. So when I heard about Botan Kaitos being a card game, so if you don't know, you have like a, basically every encounter has a series of cards that you have in your hand and you select those to do attacks, use items, cast spells things like that um i was terrified of it because i thought this sounds way too complicated and i actually went and read through the entire manual before i played through the game 
um, for this one. But uh, yeah, uh, this is a, a really awesome game that maybe is a little weak on the story side, um, but mechanically is very cool because... Basically, it's a turn-based battle system where when you go into a fight, you have a series of cards that show up in your hand, and each of those cards have, like, numbers on around the edges of them. And if you can combo those numbers in different ways, it basically will give you, like, a, a, a bonus to your attack. So if you can do, like, a one attack to a two attack to a three attack to four attack and so on up to, like, nine. Um, and so that's, like, the most basic level of that, right? And so each of these cards actually, I, I believe that this is Botankaitis, the original one. I can't remember for sure, but I believe this is the case. They get like different numbers on different corners of the cards later. So you can basically select different numbers from, from the card as well and fit it into your, your, your movement how you want it to kind of thing or your, your, your attack how you want it to. But there's another layer on top of this that's really cool. And that is the elemental magic system. Because in this game, when you do your card attacks, it's technically all a part of one um, uh, attack you're doing. So when you do nine cards, you're technically doing one string of nine attacks, essentially. So you can mix different elemental spells within that attack combo. Um, but what happens is, is if you say, for example, use fire, you do 150 damage, and then you use water, and you do 75 damage. Um, because those elements are opposing each other, they actually negate each other. So when they come together in one attack... Um, it causes like you to only do like 75 damage versus, you know, the, the full, like, I guess in that amount would be like 225 or something like that, if I can math right. So you actually do less damage, even though technically each hit added up to more, but because the, the two different effects, you know, attack, like connected with each other, they negate each other out. And then enemies have their own like elemental weakness system there as well. And then you have to like stack on the damage bonuses from the like number cards you've like legged up. And so it makes this like really interesting mechanic where, where you have to sit there and kind of pick and choose, you know, what's more important, the elemental damage I'm doing here or the chain damage. And so I'm going to lose a little bit on the elemental damage, you know, and, and con con conflicting with each other, but I'm going to gain more on the chain damage so you make a lot of decisions and all these card inputs you're doing are timed very very tightly timed um so you do have to make these decisions on the fly and as you take cards out of your hand um i believe it's the case again it's been a little while i believe other cards start coming into your hand behind that so you can like kind of pull from those cards that come into your hand as you you know send out cards for the attack and basically make combos and it can result in situations where you know i i think it was like the last boss in this game again forever ago so i don't have any like recorded footage of this but my memory of that boss fight was i had gotten like a complete like one to nine combo with uh the the um card that does like like the highest or the element that does like the highest damage to the boss and 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 it just like it just lined up in the perfect way where i beat the boss in like a turn or two so it's like super super quick because i just did so much damage um that i just like destroyed them so it's like one of those things where like it there's a really big payoff if you play with the mechanics and 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 one thing that i think it's true of a lot of a lot of monolith soft games um but in this case it, it might be more like um um makes more sense in the in the actual mechanics is that in a lot of monolith soft games you can't um you don't have control over everything um and and that means that you know your ai partners might not respond in the way you want them to or or something might happen that might disrupt your combo or you might be not be given the resources you need to finish a combo um and so you have to kind of be dynamic in what you're doing and i think a lot of monolith soft games um, have that 
element to it. But in the case of Bot and Kaitos, I think it's represented best because there are literally cards coming into your hands and you're pulling from a deck. And I think everybody can kind of relate to that deck mechanic versus like the AI not playing nice. Feels like the AI is just being stupid, right? Um, you know, having to wait for your, your, your companion to do the right move so you can combo off them in some way. So anyways, uh, that's what I really like about Bot and Kaitos. What I don't like about it um, is largely the deck management stuff does take a lot of time. You have to sit down and spend a lot of time in your inventory, you know, moving stuff around. There is some like weird level up system with cards. It's like based off time, if I recall correctly. So it's like, here's a, an apple in your inventory and it like acts as a healing item. But then after you've played the game for 10 hours, that apple becomes a rotten apple. And then it becomes like a damage based item and things like that. So there's a lot of interesting things about how that, that works. Also, actually, before I move on, Dungeons and Bot and Kaitos, very, very cool. I really miss dungeon design from Monolithsoft games. And maybe, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look at the staffing of who worked on these. Maybe Tricrescendo mainly did the dungeon design. But each dungeon has like really interesting gimmicks in a very like Legend of Zelda kind of way, it feels like. And so it makes each dungeon really fun to play. Um, and I really feel like that that is something that's missing out of more model, like modern Monolithsoft games. Um, Story-wise, though, uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember anything too super, like, <laughs> like much. Um, some of the characters I remember being, being pretty fun, and I know the voice acting is at the time was not considered very good. There's, like, a weird echo effect to their voices that I don't know if it was intentional or or just was, like, a bad recording. I, I had a friend that said it sounded like everybody had boxes on their heads um, kind of thing. Um, but the story, I think, is kind of iffy. There is, like, a really cool... Um, uh twist at the end of the game though and if you haven't heard it i'm not going to spoil it here today so don't worry about that um but there's a really cool thing with that, that kind of changes you know, like a, a place with the perspective of like who you are as the character within Bot and Kaitos because you are not the main character you are something else you're like a spirit basically and it plays with that disconnect you have with your party members and the types of information you get from them and how that kind of affects your perception of the story and where things are going in a really neat way unfortunately i think to some extent they don't really fully commit to that um they 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 kind of don't land the payoff that you'd want um, but it is nice that they like try that mechanic and, and I, and I really like that aspect. So, um, anyways, it's a very long way of may, me saying like, Hey, this is like an S tier, S tier game. Yeah. Maybe the story is not quite where it needs to be, but I think everything else like super makes up for it. Amazing art direction as well. Um, and, and I think just overall a very fun game and, and I would love to revisit it someday, um, for that. Bon Kaito's Origins. This is the sequel, technically prequel, I guess. It is really a prequel um, to that game. Uh, this is a game that I do like a lot. Um, and from what I recall, this game actually kind of alleviates some of the issues with, like, Bot and Kaitos. Um, specifically, if I remember, one thing we didn't really talk about Bot and Kaitos is that it is maybe, like, a little slow in between turns. Um, because every time you do a fight, it actually like shows you a spreadsheet. It's like, here's the damage you did and how, how this, like this whole turn played out. And I love that actually, because it like lets me know what I'm doing right and wrong, but it does kind of slow the experience down. And so Botan Kaito's Origins in some ways kind of speeds that up. It has more of like an active time battle system, if I recall correctly. So you have characters that have meters that are filling up rather than just like running into like, you know, particular roles and stuff like that. But overall, you know, there are some twists to the combat system. Um, and I, if I recall correctly, they actually reduced the number of cards you can play at once, or at least earlier on, that's the case. Uh, but I remember just kind of coming away from Botan Kaito's Origins feeling like 
this game feels like somebody felt like they had to make a sequel to Bot and Kaitos, not that it necessarily felt like a game that needed to be a sequel. And I think I feel um, that, that this game doesn't, it, it really kind of reinforces my feelings that like, I feel like new IP is always the best for Monolith Soft. When they build on top of their old ideas, sometimes I think it doesn't necessarily work out. And I think Bot and Kaitos is one of them where I feel like the battle system maybe is more balanced overall, but because it's more balanced, it doesn't really have that same payoff that you get from um, um, Bot and Kaitos uh, Eternal Wings kind of thing. Again, been a very long time since I played these games. Now, what I will say what I like a lot about Bot and Kaitos Origins is the... Um, the cast, I remember the cast, it's a lot smaller. It's only three characters. Um, but I do remember thinking that they're all very, well, well, maybe not super memorable characters. I think they were very enjoyable characters and they all like got along in a very fun dynamic kind of way. And you had some interesting like aspects to, to them. I don't want to get into spoilers, but you know, I, I do like that. Say for example, Gilo, the, the like guy who, who is in like the, turbanish kind of thing um he has like a double voice kind of thing because he's not really human and so he like has like a lady voice and a guy voice at the same time um and then you have some fun stuff going on with milia and then and then saki sagi is it sagi or saki i think i'm thinking of team innocent when i say saki but sagi um i don't remember like particularly what happens with sagi to be honest with you but i do remember just like generally enjoying their characters overall more in bot and kaito's origins versus um 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 the the first game um, with that. And there is another twist in this game that I think is is maybe not as impactful if you haven't played the original game. So I definitely recommend playing the original Bot and Kaitos before you ever play Origins. Um, but I do remember the dungeon design in Origins being just as good as the first game and, and really enjoying it. So, um, you know, while it's not necessarily my favorite Monolith Soft game, I think it's reasonable. Um, I just wish there was something that elevated it above what I think the original Bot and Kaitos was, but I just don't really feel like there's all that much. It feels like in a lot of ways, it was just like a, a, a worse game overall. Still good to play though. Like I definitely would recommend playing it if you're a fan of Monolith Soft games. We're going to skip Xenosaga episode three right now. We're going to go in order in some of these. Um, actually, let's just go over to Xenosaga. I guess we're going to go completely out of order just based off things I want to talk about and when and what it feels appropriate. So Xenosaga episode one. As I mentioned earlier, this is a game that I originally played as a kid and were like completely abandoned because I was like, I don't know what RPGs are. Um, but then when I revisited it, after I realized Monolith Soft was the developer Disaster Day of Crisis, it's like, I got to play Xenosaga now. Um, I put like a hot 20 hours in my first sit down playthrough of this. And what I mean by that is like, I literally played from, from like, you know, hour zero to 20 with, before taking a break from that game. Uh, I think this was like pretty soon after I got out of high school and before I got into college. So I was like, whatever, man, this is my life. This is my whole day. I got nothing else better to do. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, but yeah, Xenosaga, I think. In a lot of ways, my feelings on Xenosaga line up a lot with other people's feelings on Xenosaga. You know, it is very cutscene intensive. The pacing is pretty, pretty poor overall in that regard. You know, especially early on, there's just a lot of downtime. Um, um, but what I can say about Xenosaga is I did really like the battle system quite a bit. Um, I remember specifically the uh, boost system felt really good. And you had like the little roulette dial that like sat in the corner. So like you want to boost in on like certain turns where you have an advantage and things like that. 
And I always really kind of enjoyed that aspect of, of the original Xenosaga um, in the combat system. And it also has that kind of like weird, I mean, this comes from Xenogears to some degree, um, but that weird kind of like stack like attack combo system kind of thing. It's not as crazy as Xenos Gears, but basically you can like do two attacks in a row kind of thing. Um, and, and I just thought that was like really enjoyable. But overall, I thought that the boost system combined the slot, like the turning dial that changes every turn. I thought that was like a really nice mechanic of this game. It has been a long time, so I can't say if there's any like super deep mechanics involved in that. Um, you know, if you don't know, a lot of Xeno games are based off like a, you know, break topple system um, that I believe comes out of maybe Xeno Saga Episode 2, or at least the first iteration of it. Although I think Xeno, Xeno Saga Episode 3 has the actual words break and topple and stuff like that. Um, but I, I don't think Xeno Saga Episode 1 had anything like that, if I recall correctly. So, um, but I did really like that dial system and things like that. From a story perspective, it's been so long with the Xeno Saga series that it's a little hard for me to know what exactly happened from point A to B. Um, but I will say this, as somebody who um, has very negative feelings on Xion later on, um, at this point, at least, I was not super, like, unhappy with her. I thought it was kind of fun that she was just kind of like the scientist lady with glasses, like... I don't know, just kind of like she's a very like low key main character early on, I feel like. Um, and there is like some fun stuff there with like Cosmos, like the, the 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 impact of Cosmos not really being a human with human emotion and like morality um, coming into play in, in Xenosaga episode one that I enjoyed quite a bit um, with that. Um, but I think a lot of the trouble, trouble I have with Xenosaga, and, and you're going to hear this as I go through most of the Xeno games, although I'll probably try not to, I'll probably try to keep it pretty um, compact, is uh, that Xenosaga Episode 1, or the Xeno series in general, has a lot of references to biblical stuff and like philosophy and things like that. And um, when it comes to storytelling in video games, I'm very much dumb boy where like I just want things like spelled out to me um basically uh in my face kind of thing i don't really like the the having to sit there and be like well if you read this book on philosophy you'll know that blah 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 represents this and blah 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 represents that to me that's like that's not even a part of your video game if i gotta go to a wiki to understand what's happening in your story you're not doing a good job telling your story in my opinion even if that's like an in-game wiki database i don't think that's like a good way to like deliver your story and stuff like that so Xeno, as a series to me, has always kind of felt like that. Again, dumb boy here when it comes to that kind of stuff. So if you like, uh, if you love that stuff, then like, good on you. That's not me saying that's a bad way. But to me specifically, that's just like a, that just overly complicates things to the point that like, I'm sitting there staring at your game, just like, I don't know why any of these characters matter. And then like, like, it's not that I don't know why they matter. It's just like, the the, the the top layer of what they're doing is not interesting. And then people were like, oh, I love this character later on because of all this other layered stuff. And I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, but you know, um, do what you do, do what you love. Um, I'll say Xeno Saga episode one. I remember it being like a solid B. Again, a lot of these Xeno Saga games and stuff, I'm running off like a, a memory here. But Xeno Saga episode one, I'd say it's solid B game. I, I would say worth worth playing. Xenosaga Episode 2. Now, this is a game that's difficult for me to talk about. Um, not probably for the reason that most Xenosaga fans have difficulty talking about this game. Um, because I go through phases where I very much like this game. In memory, again, 
have not played these Xenosaga games in a long time. Uh, I really like the battle system that was introduced in Xenosaga uh, Episode 2. And I think the biggest crime this game has is just it's not long enough to really utilize that battle system in an interesting way. So as you're like understanding and learning the battle system, which is like the whole like, um, you know, zone system kind of thing. So you like you hit enemies like certain parts of their body and combo that. I think that's like a really interesting development out of like the Xeno Saga and and Xeno Gears like combo system that they have in in the combat. I think it's like a very smart way to go with that. Um, The only problem that I think it introduces is that, you know, it does mean you have to kind of like test things out and like figure out what the combo is. I don't really have a problem with that myself per se, to be honest with you. Uh, There's a game called, uh, I believe it's called... uh, Last Rebellion? Is that what it's called? Lost, Lost Rebellion? Last Rebellion? Game with very negative reviews by NS America that has like a, a extreme version of the Xenosaga Episode 2 battle system where it's like there's like 12 like weak points on it and then you have to combo them just right and like it's it's maybe not ideal um from a combat perspective when you have to find that many points but in the case of xenosaga you know you're, you're mainly looking at zone a b c and then comboing those in different ways and learning what that combo is and then basically doing um um you know i think you can do like launchers and stuff based off that which is part the part i think where that that breaker system comes into place and launching and things like that Again, it's been a little while. Um, so I really like that part of Xenosaga episode three or episode two. And, and, and as it, um, as it develops, I think that combat system gets more and more interesting to, to play. Um, and if you're spending a lot of time in the combat, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but if you're just like kind of naturally going through the story in the way that the game kind of presents it to you, I feel like you just do not get the time you need to really engage in that combat. Because if I recall correctly, that game is less than 20 hours. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess largely because uh, they're trying to keep that high level of production value that Xenosaga 1 had, um, but without the budget of, of Xenosaga 1 or, or the time at least kind of thing. Um, I'm personally, you know, while I think there are issues with the game, how it looks visually, I'm personally not opposed to how the game's aesthetic look is, especially when we're looking at the higher detailed models. I think the higher detailed models in Xenosaga Episode 2 look pretty good. I think the lower detail models definitely start getting a lot more iffy in that regard. Um, but, you know, this is from like a time where people who are making like anime aesthetic games weren't really sure necessarily how anime they should make their video games and and to some extent i kind of appreciate games that go for this aesthetic now where they're like we're gonna use like more traditional video game graphics but then like apply anime level of detail onto it and so what you what you have is almost like this like doll look and a lot of people hate that look i know i get it um but i i personally especially today as we get more and more games that go for that more traditional anime look I think I think the the fact that these games are less and less of a thing in terms of visuals, like outside of like Star Ocean Six or something like that, um, you know, I think that that I start to appreciate games that go for this aesthetic a bit more um, now that we're further away from that. And some of that's just literally just how much I'm ex- exposed to. And when every game looks like cel shaded anime, the game as I feel with Xenoblade Chronicles 2, as we'll get to later. Um, um, I kind of appreciate that the, the other side of that. But obviously that could easily swap backwards, you know, depending on how things go in the future. So, you know what? What did I, what did I suggest for Xenosaga Episode 2? B through C. We're going to... Mmm... Mm. So I think I'm in one of those, one of those moments where it's like, I'm feeling good about Xenosaga episode two right now. And next month I might not feel so good about it. 
But right now I'm feeling good about Xenosaga Episode 2. We're going to put Xenosaga Episode 2 at A rank. I do like the little story. I believe this is a part of Xenosaga Episode 2. If not, then maybe bump it down to B after this fact. But I do like the story about like um, the red hair kid, Rubido, um, Negredo, and uh, um, Albus, I think his name is. Um, those three guys that when they're at the like, uh, weird, like detention center kind of thing where they're all together. I remember the story around that being good. I think that's, you know, saga too. Could be wrong about that. I think that's Xenosaga Saga too. If not, I'm sorry. I thought that was Xenosaga Saga too. Um, again, very long time since I played these. All right, let's jump back to Xenosaga 3 then. Um, so I am somebody who, uh, would very much like to replay Xenosaga episode 3. Um, probably after playing either Xenosaga 1 and 2 on DS or playing through these two again, at least partially. Um, because holy crap, I hate this game. This is like, to me, this is like the worst Monolith Soft has ever been. Which is, I think this is the game that really defines the difference between me and like probably most Xeno fans. Um, because I feel like Xeno Saga Episode 3 leans the hardest into that, like, biblical story stuff and all that stuff. And, and I just do not care about any of that. I'm just like, give me good character interactions that are happening. And, and the, this game, you know, and, and it being made is in, in, in some ways, I think, restricted by the fact that, you know, I think Namco was like, hey, guys, this is probably not going to go well wrap it up essentially right so you have all these story threads that just start wrapping up really quickly and then they really hone in on Xion's story and at least at the time when i played this in like 2008 or something like that boy oh boy did i not like Xion. i did not like how she threw everybody under the bus throughout that story i do not like how she like flip-flopped so much in that that plot and like I, to some extent, I think that is the point of Xion, is like, she's supposed to be a piece of shit in a lot of ways. Like, maybe I'm wrong about that. I think that's like what's supposed to be happening. But I kind of run into the same problem I have with games like Order of Ecclesia or like Nier Automata, where people are like, oh, 2B or or the main character from Order of Ecclesia, Sharla, is that her name? I don't remember. Chinoa. Um, like, they're they're supposed to not have personalities. That's like they're, they're, the, the, the point of them in the story. And I get that. And I think there's ways that can work. But when that's like your main character and they're not likable, then I just do not like your character. <laughs> and then so like, it's really hard for me to get invested in a good story if I don't care about the characters. And I liked characters in Xenosaga. I do not care about Xion, um, at least by episode three time. And oh man, I could not stand her. She was just like the worst. And, and admittedly, again, it's been a while since I played this, so maybe my feelings today would be different, but I can only operate off the information I have from when I last played this. Um, the other side of this game <clears throat> that is terrible for me is they simplified the battle system down. Now you do, like I said earlier, you start to see the origins of like the break and launch system in the game, but it's just ridiculously simplified down from my memory. And, and basically, if I recall correctly, it is pretty much just fill up a meter until they're in break, break condition and then launch them and do damage. That is my memory of that combat. I remember it, you know, maybe that that makes sense in other RPGs that does not have this vast history of like having really interesting mechanics and things like that. But, you know, going from Xenosaga episode two and like it's really cool, crazy battle system that they just, unfortunately, in my opinion, did not really fully utilize. And that's the bigger problem with it. Again, been a long time. So maybe my opinion will change on this in the future. Um, Xenosaga three just like 
kicked back way too far. Like maybe rein in a little bit, but but don't rein in all the way to the point that you're just like a very straightforward RPG and remove, in my opinion, what's most interesting about Monolith Soft games is an interesting battle system. Um, aesthetically, this game looks pretty nice. It does have like the down budget look of like, it feels like a Botan Kaitos game where it's like a lot of just characters standing around with canned animations that Xenosaga, you know, one and two didn't have a ton of. Um, Xenosaga three probably smartly utilizes this to deliver their story. Xenosaga 1 and 2 probably should have had more of those scenes. Reminds me a little bit about like how Final Fantasy 14 1.0 had like very elaborately animated scenes for things that did not matter. And Xenosaga, I feel like, feels the same way. There's kind of like, sometimes you have to kind of make decisions between, you know, what you're going to put effort into with games and things like that. So I really don't like Xenosaga Episode 3. I hope someday I revisit the Xenosaga trilogy and my feelings change, although I kind of just like that Xenosaga episode two is just hanging up there at uh, the A mark. That's kind of fun. That's kind of cool. That was not my intention. I kind of, I right now my heart says A, but I think in my brain I know it's a B, but my heart says A right now. So that's where we're going to leave it for now. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I guess in some ways I'm kind of going somewhat in order of how I played these games because now I'm like looking at Xenogears and like, should I talk about Xenogears? But I think I might want to talk about um, Xenoblade Chronicles instead right now. So I think that's what we're going to do. Xenoblade Chronicles. This is Definitive Edition. I did not play Definitive Edition. I only played the original one. I did buy Definitive Edition to play uh, the Torna... Not Torna, sorry. Um... Was it called like uh, Future Connected or something like that? I did I did buy that and play that, which I guess they don't really list Future Connected as own thing on here. We'll we'll talk about Future Connected here in a little bit. Um, but anyways, Xenoblade Chronicles as a game is a game I have a ton of respect for. I'm gonna say first and foremost up front before I do anything here. I feel like Xenoblade Chronicles is a game that is um, ambitious in the right ways. So I think Xeno the Xeno franchise as a whole has been ambitious in the wrong ways. I feel like they try way too hard to build out things that, in my opinion, do not matter that much to the game. You know, stuff you can deliver in a stupid, like, you know, perfect works book. Not stupid. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. A supplemental book, like stuff like that. I feel like you can you can put that out there, but like, I don't want your your story to be reliant on you reading the supplemental work kind of thing, right? Like, it, it reminds me of how Kingdom Hearts, like, to some degree, gets so out of control with where the key story points are that matter for that series exist because they're in all these different random places and and i feel like that to some extent xeno series ends up in that where it's like not only do we reference books outside of what's going on in in this franchise we also have these like perfect works books we have you know this mobile game all that stuff anyways um so so all that aside though um xenoblade chronicles is a game that i feel is is really tight on its vision in a lot of ways but it doesn't necessarily stop that from um it's it's ambition as a game overall um not only from a a uh a uh, exploration aspect you know this is a a large game you know on a system like the Wii which really was not intended for something like this but it's, it has very large areas that are really fun to explore and it hones in the paths you take as the player in ways that i think are really really interesting that that basically keeps Almost in like a Breath of the Wild kind of way where it's like they always want you to be see, be seeing what's interesting 
you know, ahead. And it, it draws you to the next area and it draws you through the area. So even though it's not like a true open world game, you know, you have that feeling of exploration. You have the different paths you go on. So it feels like you're exploring something that you may not necessarily have gotten if you went the other way. And so it means later on when you come to the area, you can go down a different path and, and explore new things and, and learn new things. And, and, I, and I love that about the original Xenoblade Chronicles game, um, because I think every area in that game is just so fun to play through. Um, maybe there are some exceptions, but like generally, I think it's a very good, well-designed game. And, and most of the areas in the game are, are really enjoyable to not only, you know, see and explore. Um, and, and, and they also sometimes have like mechanical aspects to them too, where you're like, you're like in the mountainsides of the, the snowy mountains and stuff. And you have like these little narrow paths you're walking around. That's like fun, but also like the ice, you know, slides and things like that. There's a lot of really cool things in that world. Um, and, and I think maybe the, the, the one thing I, um, I was going to say something negative, but I forgot what it was already. So, so let me just keep going to the positive, but like a game actually runs really well too. And like, and it like, you know, when you look at something like the last story on the Wii or something like that, that game has no, no real respect for the system hardware. And it like really just like chugs that game really hard respect. I don't know, like consideration maybe is the right word. Like, like the last story feels like a game trying to be a 360 or PS3 game on the Wii, where Xenoblade Chronicles somehow, some way is this like unique, massive thing that they put out. And then, and then also it like just runs really well on, on that system. So um and and i just like have a ton of respect for that world design um from a combat perspective i think xenoblade chronicles um you know it's a game that i think i'm a little mixed on in in terms of combat hey let me say first and foremost the combat in xenoblade chronicles is great um you know you don't you don't only have positional mechanics each character has their own unique kind of um uh, rotation, I guess you could say, if you want to use like a more modern MMO term kind of thing, because it does feel almost MMO-ish in how you play it, right? Uh, kind of like the unique mo- rotation, and there's like ways those characters interact with each other that do like a lot of interesting things um, in terms of damage. You have the chain system and all that stuff, the chain combos. Um, and there's just like a lot of layers to it with, with um, um, you know, the, the enthusiasm kind of meter or morale system, things like that. And, and, and things like that. And so I feel like it's like a really cool game in that regard. Um, however, I do feel like, and, and maybe this is something that, that I, is more specific to me in that experience, that I remember the chain combos just never really fully clicking with me in that game and never really feeling like I got to the point that I feel like I could really break that game in terms of damage. But I, I know other people who have had that experience. So where where later on, I feel like there are other games where I had that experience of like, you know, I could do that peak damage. I think maybe something was missing from my experience in that combo system to really get that full satisfaction of like, I am fully understanding these mechanics. And the, even though, you know, each of these pieces might not line up correctly, I lined up just enough correctly to do like a significant spike of damage. And when everything does line up correctly, it's like, holy crap, I did a ton of, a ton of, you know, spike damage and things like that. So I do appreciate the combat in that regard. Dungeon design, like there is no dungeon, de- like, like I, this is not so much a problem with Xenoblade Chronicles as a singular game, um, but as like a franchise maybe. Uh, I don't think Xenoblade Chronicles does small areas very well. I think it only does large areas very well. And that's something that has really disappointed me over time. Um, as we've gotten further further away from like Bot and Kaitos in the Xeno series, I really wish they would do more um, 
smaller zones and really refine them and make them interesting. And every time they try to do those smaller zones in games, I feel like they come off as super bland and not interesting at all, unfortunately. So, um, and from a story perspective, you know, again, I just think that it, it takes a lot of the, the, the themes of Xeno franchise as a whole, but cuts away that layer on top of just like, you don't need to know about biblical stuff. You don't need to know about philosophy. You don't need this stuff. And maybe some people see that as like a dumbing down of the story. But to me, it kind of keeps everything intact, in together. Like it feels, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 feels like a complete story from start to finish. I don't feel like there's a lot of like leftover questions. I know some people have some things with Melia when we talk about the original Xenoblade Chronicles um, and feeling like she's kind of left with like, you know, not a big you know answer to what's going on in her life. I'm not necessarily concerned too much with that. And they did eventually try to redeem that, but it's not really a part of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 as a, as a game. Um, but I feel like, like I would rather them be a bit more conservative in that regard rather than, you know, try to reach out a ton and try to answer all these questions, you know, when they couldn't really do that within the scope of the game. It's already a huge game, honestly. So, you know, I think originally I had this game as an A here because I think there's that aspect where I just, from a combat perspective, I didn't get quite the same satisfaction of like a Bot and Kaitos. But just thinking about the world design, the the fact that this game is, is to me, like the point with Monolith is kind of not only at their their best point in terms of like um the highest point in terms of like 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 um being their self control I guess and like like vision but also um I think this is like a a really good time in their their time in their development cycle where they took everything they've learned from all these games to the gears put them into this one and just like made the game right this is like the top tier video game like there again there are some things that are missing here and there but. We're going to put it up on S. I think I personally prefer Bot and Kaitos over Xenoblade Chronicles. But when we look at it as a rounded product, Xenoblade Chronicles probably is a better game. But, you know, I'm not really doing like tier listings based off, you know, vertical or horizontal um, stuff here. So anyways, S rank Xenoblade Chronicles. All right. So the next ones on this list are Xenoblade Chronicles 2. There's also Project Cross Zone. I have not played Project Cross Zone 2, but uh, I'm going to skip over here to Super Robot Tyson Original Generation Saga Endless Frontier. One of the longest titles that I've ever said out, out loud, except for its sequel, Super Robot Tyson's original generation saga, Endless Frontier Exceed, which I have not played, so we'll be putting that to the side as well. Um, I will say that game has a fan translation too, so if you do want to play that game, you can. But the original Endless Frontier is a game that I do really enjoy quite a bit. Um, this came at a time when I personally was trying to, like, hoping that getting getting less interested in like super serious um rpg stories and i was kind of exploring around with like different um types of rpgs and the types of storytelling and what i really liked about endless frontier is that it is mostly just humor <laughs> um so you have this main character named hawk and browning who is more or less just like a womanizer and and uh, like super flirty and stuff and the majority of his teammates are all ladies kind of thing um, and it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous in its storytelling, um, from what I remember, a lot of just humor, a lot of just like really fun characters and character interactions overall. Um, so while the story of what's happening in the game literally probably does not really matter for the most part, I do not remember much of it at all. It is just like a fun set of dialogue to read through as you go through and, and it, and it is really enjoyable overall. I think, um, just from a character perspective, 
Um, so I can't say too much about the story, but the characters I do really enjoy. Hawk and Browning, I wish, uh, was in more games. He is in Project Crosszone, which we'll get to later. Um, but anyways, uh, what I do really like, like about the combat of Endless Frontier is um, it's got like a really neat juggle system. I think this actually comes out of Namco X Capcom to some degree, but I have not played Namco X Capcom, unfortunately. Um, and this essentially is a system where you can assign different attacks and skills to the character's uh, uh, moveset. And then using those skills, you can basically use them using, like I believe it's like directional inputs on the D-pad and then also the individual presses on the button. So it's like not, you're not putting like a Street Fighter combo in. You're doing like almost like a Smash Brothers type move where you press the A button and then a direction on the uh, the D-pad, I believe is how it works. And uh, you can basically use these skills. And as long as the enemy doesn't touch the ground, um, you can continue to attack as long as you have enough energy to attack. And then once you run out of energy, then the combo's over. And so it's like just really fun to like learn different ways that you can keep juggling enemies. It almost takes like the, the juggling mechanics of a fighting game in some ways and just like consolidate, consolidates it down to an RPG. And so, um, you know, you basically take the entire turn that you do to basically juggle the enemy as much as possible without letting them touch the ground. And you have like assists that can come in and they can come into attacks. And so you have to worry about not only the timing um of those other attacks but also you know when you want to um um like switch over to a different type of attack to to combo the enemy in a different way kind of thing to to make sure that combo keeps going um there is like a i think i forget what it's called but like a a automatic stop system in this game that kind of stinks where essentially an enemy can just like negate your combo at some point and it gets really annoying later on especially since you as the player do not have the ability to do this but i believe in the sequel xc they actually give the player the ability to do this like negate move where you can basically cancel all all combos there's also i believe like a um like an animation cutoff bonus thing. So if you like finish it an or press the button before an animation finishes at a certain point, you get like a damage bonus kind of thing too. So it's, it's got a, like a d pretty deep mechanics in that regard. You know, it is a very simple concept, but there's a lot of customization on the characters and each character has their own different move sets in a way that I think makes it really fun to play with and, and worth it for the whole, the whole game itself. Dungeon design in this game member not being particularly great, just some like very basic kind of like destroy the rock, push the rocks around and things like that. So maybe not like Monosoft's best efforts, but when we're talking about games like this, you know, typically I get the idea or I get the, the impression these were like the the B team essentially working on these. So um, I'm going to go ahead and put this one at like maybe the, hmm, I think I, I'm a, I'm a split on C or B. Let me see what my notes said for this one. Wow. I put B to A in my, my original notes. I don't think this is an A game. So I think I already disagree with myself from yesterday here. Um, but I do think I feel pretty confident with this being a B. Despite the story not really being a big thing and the dungeon design not being a really big thing, I think the combat itself is very cool and I think it's very much well worth the play. The humor and dialogue also top-notch in that regard. So um, I'm going to put that at the B level there. Let's swap Project Cross Zone. Project Cross Zone, as you can maybe guess by my voice and tone here, is a game I do not love very much. I maybe don't have the same disdain for it as I do Xeno Saga Episode 3, but I don't, I definitely don't like it as much as Disaster Day of Crisis. So if you're not watching this, um, I wonder if I can add a row below for F rank. I can. Okay, cool. Um, can I change that to be F? Is that. No, that's changing the top row. Okay, 
So we got a new row here. I'm going to make an F row. Xenosaga Episode 3 is now an F tier game. I think it is a complete failure of a game. Um, let me see if we can change the co color of that too. We'll make it red. No, red is what the S rank is. Uh, we'll make it like gray. Something like that. Gray, tasteless meat. That is Xenosaga Episode 3. <laughs> Um, anyways, so uh, I, I do think I need that space in between. So sorry for adjusting this uh, uh, last minute here. But uh, anyways, Project Crosszone, I think I can very easily say this is a D-ranked game. Um, so Project Crosszone takes a lot of what's cool about Super Robot Tyson, Original Generation Saga, Endless Frontier from a combat perspective and really boils it down in a way that, you know, the core mechanic is definitely there, but it's just very, very boring um i think i think it's still enjoyable doing the juggling mechanics and you still have like the assist stuff coming into play so like it's still there um but i feel like the customization just quiz isn't quite there in the way you want it to be also it's a strategy rpg instead of like a traditional rpg so you have like characters that move around the board and stuff and so like the game just moves really slow there's a ton of enemies in the game and it just takes forever to get anything done and a lot of times you know, like the combo system, I think works in a game that's like moving forward all the time. But when you're like playing a mission, it's like an hour to two hours long for my memory, like having that really engaging like combat that, yeah, but like in a single mission that like just takes way too long, just doesn't line up right for like, I don't know. I feel like it wouldn't be so bad if it was like more just like straightforward, you know, going through and like smacking enemies with like a Final Fantasy Tactics style. Um, not that I'm saying I think the game should be that way, but if we think about the constraints of what this game is and just being very slow, all the missions being way too long, all the enemies taking way too long to, to act, and all the your team taking way too long to act, and each one of them is like a combo sequence you do, like it just takes forever for anything to happen. And I just think that like, while I appreciate them from taking that that combo design from Endless Frontier, I just don't necessarily think it's like a a good fit for this particular game. Um, what I can say I appreciate about this game though, is as a crossover game, it gave me a taste of a lot of characters I didn't like know I'd like. Shining Force EXA or EXA or whatever. I really enjoyed the characters in there. I have not played that game, but it made me much more aware of that title. Zombies Revenge characters seem fun, made me aware of that title. God Eater, I, this is my first exposure to God Eater really. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and then some characters from Endless Frontier come back like Hawk and Browning. Um, but kind of the problem with having so many characters between Namco, Cap Capcom, and Sega is that, you know, they just don't really get their time to shine very much. So if you are looking for your particular characters to be like, you know, having a moment, you know, they just kind of say the boilerplate thing of like, let's do this. And then Hawk and Brownie would be like, let's do this, hot mama, kind of thing. And that's like, <laughs> that's like the, the one interesting thing he says that's like somewhat related to his like, his character arc kind of thing. So I just think it, 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 it for, for, I would, what I always call it is like, it's a good sampler pack if you're looking for different like characters from different franchises to kind of connect to and, and learn about those different franchises. I think it's a great for that. But as a game, I really don't like it. And unfortunately, I have not played Project Cross Zone 2 because I heard it has the exact same problem. That I believe I read Kamimimi's article about it at some point. And she was just like, yeah, it's kind of more of the same. Not great. And so it made me not buy it. So maybe someday I'll play Project Cross Zone 2. I think that is my plan, but not looking forward to it. Although Super Robot Tyson, Endless Frontier, Exceed, I can say words, um, that title um, is definitely 
on my list of once and to do's. And I have a physical copy of that. So I'm going to play the fan translation at some point for sure. After Soma bring it up for that. All right. How about we get Xeno gears off our plate here before we get too deep into Xenoblade Chronicles to territory. Um, and then, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles X is here as well. Um, Xenoblade, Xeno gears. I think Xeno gears is one of those games where it's a lot easier to appreciate if you were there when it came out, you know, um, there's a lot to be said about Xeno Gears from a storytelling perspective and what video games were at the time, especially in the American market where we had limited exposure to a lot of JRPGs at that time. He also had kind of the more Evangelion kind of aspects, like in terms of his presentation, to my understanding. I have not watched Evangelion, so I'm not saying that with a definitive statement, saying that from what I've heard over the years of people saying, yeah, it's very Evangelion-ish kind of thing. Don't know how true that is. Um, but, um, it's the same problem I have with Xeno Saga though, where like at some point the story gets so out of hand that I really don't know where it's going most of the time. Um, and especially so when you get to disc two, disc two is, I know some people like it, but it is kind of a weird train wreck where essentially, if you don't know, they basically, or at least the story goes, they ran out of budget for uh, disc two. And so how they handled that was basically making it like a series of events that are told through a character sitting on a chair, essentially. So you go through playing the game normally, and then all of a sudden you have like the character sitting on a chair and narrating events, and you get warped around from spot to spot to spot, and it becomes really hard to track what's happening story-wise. Um, I've heard some people co- like make some arguments of like, well, it, it shows the scope of the conflict and what's happening and how much bigger it's gotten from the party at that point. But I, I really don't know if I have confidence in that statement. But hey, if you if you appreciate it in that regard, good on you for sure. If that's if that's like kind of the the the, the way it's you know communicates information to you and like and does a good job of that. Um, I will say I do have the unfortunate side effect of coming backwards to this game. I played through a lot of these other games before I ever played Xeno Gears. I came, I played, I played Xeno Gears in probably like the early 2010s, maybe mid 2010. I think probably like 2013, 20, maybe 2012 ish. Um, and you know, I just, there's a lot of things I just did not really care about with this game. Um, not only from the character perspective, I just didn't really like latch on to anybody in the story. Um, I also just feel like that the combat is just, well, it's very cool like with the combo system stuff. It eventually had a lot more depth in the later game. So kind of going back to Xenogears was very difficult for me. The mechs definitely feel the most fleshed out in this game though. So I do appreciate that aspect of it. And it does have some mini games and stuff in this game that are pretty cool. Like the mech, uh, combo, combat arena stuff. That's really nice. It is a nice looking game overall too. You know, it kind of goes the opposite of Final Fantasy VII where it has like 2D you know, sprites in 3D backgrounds and stuff that I really appreciate um, that that look and, and, and uh, you know, going that direction, you know, with Thousand Arms and stuff also trying that look. But definitely Xeno Gears is kind of like a top tier version of that. Um, but I just don't have strong feelings about this game. Um, and I kind of just feel a little middling on it overall. Again, I think largely because I played Xenosaga first. So like coming back to this title, a lot of this stuff just feels kind of like, okay, we've kind of been here before. Um, or I've been here before, but really, you know, it's the opposite way around. It's just unfortunate that, that on my perspective, it ended up that way. But I do think it's like a very important game in terms of storytelling in the North American market as an RPG. You know, I don't think you saw many Japanese RPGs kind of tackling the themes as directly as Xenogears at the time. Admittedly, there are many RPGs that came out. Um, I just would lack the confidence to say the same about that in Japan, given how many other RPGs there were and things like that at the time. So we're putting it at the C rank there. Eh, 
Part of me wants to put it in D rank, but I think I feel okay at C. I think C, I think this, if, if it was just personally my feelings, it would be D. But just thinking about it from like a, it's time and place in the American market specifically, I think it's reasonable to put it in a C there. So, alrighty. Xenoblade Chronicles, we return. Oh, you know, I didn't finish talking about um, Future Connected, but one thing I can say about Future Connected is I think it was a, a very fun little bit of DLC. Um, it did not have maybe as much content as I was hoping for, but I think it is like a very fun way to revisit that game like temporarily, especially if you played the original Xenoblade Chronicles. If you kind of want to see how they've updated the look and design of Xenoblade Chronicles um, from a graphical perspective, um, it's a great way to just play a little bit of that game without getting too deep into it because I, at least for me, I can't sit down and replay an RPG like I used to anymore, you know, just from a timing perspective, unfortunately. So um, I was very happy to sit down and play like, like 10 to 12 hours of that be like yeah Xenoblade Chronicles is pretty cool it doesn't have like it, it definitely feels more like an expansion pack than say like Torn of the Golden Country does when we we'll talk about later which feels more like its own game um but Future Connect is very cool if we had to rank it somewhere on here A maybe didn't like jump out at me as anything cool but like amazing but it is kind of cool um, if, if you are like somebody who is interested in that like graphics dynamic between Definitive Edition and the original game, I personally lean more on the original game. I do like the aesthetic of it. I think somebody explained it really well once that it almost looks Vagrant Story-esque. Um, but to some degree, I also think it's really important from an um, animation perspective, that original look, because it does let those characters have kind of more extreme animations um if you go and look at the kind of the characters side by side as they animate in those scenes like in like their facial movements and things like that the wii game it's a lot more dramatic and maybe that comes from a resolution aspect of like making sure you know you could see these characters facial movements and things like that when you're playing on a lower resolution system or maybe even on a crt although by 2012 i think a lot of people were not really on crts um but um, i think there's an argument for that uh look for that game so Personally, I prefer that look, but I know how people are um, with that. Um, how about we go to Xenoblade Chronicles X? This is a very mixed game for me. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X is a game that um, is probably one of my biggest fears when a Xenoblade game gets revealed, or a Monolith Soft game gets revealed in general. Where I look at the user interface of the combat system in the trailer, and I go, I know exactly what's happening here. For the most part, like almost everything lines up with how Xenoblade Chronicles 1 looks, which was very disappointing to me. And I was like, I don't know how much I care about this video game because like what I like is more interesting, unique combat systems in Monolith Soft games. And this game was presenting to me um, something that was not that. And there are key differences between Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and this um, the overdrive system is kind of its own thing. There's a lot of hidden complexity to Xenoblade Chronicles combat system. Um, but you do have to really dig in, or Xenoblade Chronicles X's combat system, but you do have to kind of dig into it. And that was one of those cases where I had to go and look up a wiki to figure out what's going on with the overdrive system, honestly. Um, so, you know, how much, the, the game's not very good at communicating that information, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, however, um, and there's like some cool little aspects of like, hey, they worked in the the character yelling into like the mechanics of the game, which is very fun. Um, and then also there's like the double cooldown stuff. There's nice little touches and changes here and there. But ultimately, it plays a little too close to Xenoblade Chronicles 1 from a combat perspective to make me feel particularly fulfilled with the game. Um, and so I came away initially from the game being very disappointed because I was just like, this feels 
very Xenoblade Chronicles 1, and I like didn't really want to engage with the combat all that much, which I think is a really bad sign with the Xeno game. Like for me, if a Xeno game is doing its job, I'm going into every encounter, I'm walking into every enemy like as I can because I just love the combat system so much. Um, with Xenoblade Chronicles X, though, I was often just like, I don't really want to deal with this combat system. Um, and it also started to highlight some of the problems that started to exist in Xenoblade Chronicles, but really started to be emphasized in Xenoblade Chronicles X, where you have kind of a um, mix of enemy levels in an area. And and and, and what the, the intention of this is to add some tension and stress to the area in a lot of ways. So it's like, oh, here's a level 90 enemy in the level one area because we just want to put something that's going to make you be spooked, basically. Um, and Xenoblade Chronicles X does that as well. But the problem is, is that while Xenoblade Chronicles 1 generally is like has a pretty consistent storyline so if you run into a quest where you have problems you can more or less just keep moving to the main quest and move on with your life xenoblade chronicles x's backbone is on side quests if you don't know xenoblade chronicles x is a more true open world game you can kind of go anywhere from the start you can go to the last area if you want to you can just jump in the ocean and start swimming to the last area basically if you want to um and and so it is more of a true open world game where you can kind of go wherever do wherever you want and there's only like 10 or 12 main story quests throughout the main game so everything else is filled in through you doing side quests um and that includes building relationships with characters to do the like larger character-based side quests there's like different layers of side quests and you really have to interact with most of those layers and in smart ways too because if you don't level up your relationships right then then you could find yourself in situations where you have to grind a ton just to get some more interesting content put in front of you so you have to kind of balance that out and there's a lot of problems with Xenoblade Chronicles X in regards to um, user interface also uh, just like player accessibility to move on to do other things if you get locked into a quest and you save in that quest you cannot get out of that quest and so if you are in a situation where you have a quest where there's like a level 70 monster spawned right beside it and you're just like, all I need to do is go kill this level 20 monster, but there's this level 70 monster there all the time, then it makes a lot of frustration um, in, in that regard. There's just not a lot of good balancing in terms of difficulty curve because of that open world nature. And, and while there are ways you can kind of alleviate that through like changing the time of day, changing the weather, or like not really changing the weather, but you know, you can go to a different time of day, which might have different weather. Um, there's just a lot of really small issues that really get in the way of the game overall. And if any game really needed like some quality of life patches, Xenoblade Chronicles X was it. Um, it got a couple, but not near enough. And I think part of like what my hope would be if Xenoblade Chronicles X ever got ported to a Switch is that it would get that quality of life um, um, update that it never got. Um, that, that I think it deserves in a lot of ways. Because um, what what it doesn't do in terms of combat, what it doesn't do in terms of like you know being bad at UI and things like that and being worse in some ways in that regard. It changes in two different ways. One, the open world aspect, as I mentioned earlier, and how that changes how you progress to that game. Because the benefits of that open world aspect is it builds a world. You're you're learning about a world that's being built. It's not about the characters that are in front of you. It's about the world around you, the graces that are coming into your town, how those dynamics happen. If you want to like learn about a city in a game and and really get a feel for that city and the, the vibe of it and the, the people in it, Xenoblade Chronicles X is, is great great for that um but the other aspect is i think it's a game that does a lot for the tone um where it's a lot more laid back as a game it feels like a game that doesn't take itself too seriously and it does so in a way that i think is um really entertaining and really humorous and and you also have like a very um i don't know be 
almost like non-conventional RPG story, I feel like in some ways, where where it doesn't feel as like, you know, reliant on this like very um strict storyline. And it, maybe this is like stuff that just comes out of like, you know, open world games in general, honestly. But but at least from a Xeno's perspective, it has a very unique feel to the game. The cast is very good overall. All the characters are very memorable. And because it's such a big game that you're spending a lot of time with these characters on, and like there's a mostly side quests that we're building out these stories, I think you do get that more personal connection between the other characters in a way that even the case like Xenoblade Chronicles 1 doesn't have, where Xenoblade Chronicles 1 at times forgets some of their characters are there. In the case that in Xenoblade Chronicles X, that's almost built in in some ways, but they have their story moments, their big story moments, and you can spread that out throughout the game. Whereas Xenoblade Chronicles 1, like there are some characters that just kind of feel like they just disappear at some point, and they're technically there in your party, and they're technically standing there but like they just never really come into play again. And I feel like that's a big problem with model of soft games in general is that like towards the end with Xenoblade Saga episode three, Shion becomes the only thing that really matters. Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, Shulk and another character, I won't go into spoilers, is the only ones that matter. Bot and Kaitos, a lot of characters get pushed off to the side towards the end. It's just this kind of constant problem that Xeno games have, I feel like, and model of soft games in general have, I should say. So I have a ton of respect for Xenoblade Chronicles X. I am very mixed on it as a fan of somebody who's not, or somebody who's not a huge fan of open world games. I think, <sighs> pardon me, wants to put this at the A level. Pardon me, wants to put this at the A level. We're not going to. B. Xenoblade Chronicles X, very good game though. Very cool. You should definitely check it out if you have not played Xenoblade Chronicles. It's a shame that they have not brought it to uh, Switch yet or if they ever will. I totally understand why they may not though. It is a very large, ambitious game um, that fails in a lot of ways and and you can kind of see all the points in the game where they have to kind of more or less just wrap it up rather than make their, their, their dream vision of a video game. But, you know, that game was in development for a long time and it was on the Wii U specifically, hardware that was already suffering, right? <clears throat> so, you know, they I, I don't blame them for having to wrap it up, but I think it probably was a very valuable experience for them. And while I don't specifically want more Xenoblade games, I wouldn't be opposed to them making a Xenoblade Chronicles um, X follow-up kind of thing. All right, we got two games left here. One's kind of like an expansion pass, although I, I more or less view it as its own game. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, though, first and foremost. All right, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I love this game. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I very much enjoy this game. It reminds me of Bon Kaitos. It reminds me of Xenosaga Episode 2. Those kind of Xeno Monolith games that really try some really cool ideas and sometimes succeeds and sometimes doesn't maybe i'm the other side of like you know how i was like complaining earlier about like the story getting too ambitious maybe i'm the other side of that but with mechanics where i'm like yeah be really ambitious with your mechanics make something that like doesn't really work super well sometimes but still makes like a really cool thing at the end and so maybe i'm the other side of that but with mechanics instead of lore um but yeah xenoblade chronicles 2 is a game that does a lot in that regard it feels like a game pulled out of 2005 uh however it has a lot of problems with it, um, not only from a UI perspective, but from a progression perspective. Um, the the skill check system is a nightmare in that game. Um, there is a lot of menuing in that game that Botan Kaitos has similar problems with. He can spend a lot of time with the menu of that game. 
Um, I think there's a lot of problems with kind of the storytelling. Um, I'm a huge fan of Rex. I love that baby boy. He's my favorite, maybe favorite Monolosoft character, but I think they do him wrong in this game that they more or less don't let him develop at all, which he doesn't necessarily need to, honestly. Um, but they kind of use him as like a sticking point where characters will just kind of show up and be like, Rex, you're not responsible enough. And then Rex is like, oh, I'm sorry. And then goes and mopes for a while and then comes back and says, I know what I must do. Take Pyra to Elysium. And then that happens like five more times. Um, it makes sense in the story of like making drama around particular characters. And, and it honestly kind of solves some of the problems that Xenoblade Chronicles has or Monolith games have where a lot of characters feel like they get kind of shoved to the side because the main character is like the main developer development. But instead it kind of switches that and then makes the side characters be the main development. And then Rex kind of just is more of the same the entire game, but he's just kind of the central figure of the game kind of thing. But I love Rex. He's a, he's a wonderful character um, overall. I think there are characters in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that get, like, specifically the Blades. I think the Blades just are kind of boring overall. Pyra, Mithra, um, just kind of whatever characters to me. Um, to some extent, I like the Blue Lady, if her name Bryn or something like that. Maybe, maybe not Bryn. I don't remember what it is. The Blue Lady, uh, that's Morag's companion. She's got some aspects of her story that I like, but this doesn't really come into play. Poppy has that problem that a lot of Amer like English dubs have where like the like in Japanese when you're listening to like a Japanese voice track having somebody say like some weird verbal quirk doesn't really catch like sound as weird to you as like an English speaker but when you hear it in English it's like oh my god so Poppy and like how she talks is just like mm. <laughs> but but overall I like Poppy as a character once you dig below the dialogue layer of that not a big fan of Tora and the nope on in that game at all um, so it's like there's a lot of dynamic there of like characters I like a lot, characters I don't like a lot. Um, I like Morag a lot. I think Zeke can be good. Um, I'm personally of the mind that um, while I know there's a very sharp divide on how people feel about this and a lot of people that just don't really talk to, like I think with each other, they talk at each other about this. Um, I do think the anime aesthetic affects some of the storytelling in the game. That is not to say past Monolith Soft games are not inspired by anime in any ways. I think it'd be ridiculous to say so. There are very anime-esque things about those games. They have very anime aesthetics. When you look at Xenogears, you look at the Xenosaga series, you look at Baton Kaitos, there are things in Xenoblade that are very anime-esque. But the point that they have finally gotten to, like, okay, our game basically looks like every other cel-shaded anime video game, which kind of bothers me, um, you know, but I understand it's what people want from that look. So I'm not saying it's a bad decision, just not personally what I want. Um, I do think especially early on, they utilize that stuff for visual gags and they lean into that with like the whole like, oh, get out of my bedroom, Rex kind of thing. I'm going to throw stuff at you. And like the faces they make that are very like anime-esque faces. There's, there's nothing wrong with that per se. It's just there and it is present. And I think it's a lot of, especially early on, feels like cheap humor. Um, that again, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's like what I expect out of like the trash harem anime. That's very harem, uh, anime that's popular this season. Not so much a Xeno game kind of thing. Um, again, 
if you enjoy it, it's fine. It's it's perfectly fine. But like, I feel like it's just a little lowbrow. Um, the writing gets significantly better. Um, especially, I think the kind of the key points is when you start getting to the point that you have your whole party together. The they they start leaning further away from that stuff and start leaning into the writing itself. And I think the back half of that game is very humorous in the right ways. Um, honestly, so I do think it redeems itself. But I think that's something that people argue about, and I think the answer is that both it is a Monolith Soft has always been anime, and then B, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is a little more anime than other Monolith Soft games. Again, not that there has never been anime influences. Don't send me the gif of, of Cosmos ripping her shirt open to shoot a laser. I understand. I understand that's in the video game. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Combat, though, love the combat system. When I saw it initially, I was like, is this going to be a little like Xenoblade Chronicles again? Um, but then I looked at the UI. And I was like, I have no fucking idea what's happened with this UI. <laughs> so I was like, this is probably fine. It's probably good. I had a lot of anxiety because it was another Xenoblade game. I don't want any more Xenoblade games. I want them to move on to something else. But I understand that is not the life I I I the timeline I'm living in um, where we get to have that. And honestly, it makes like, I'm part of me is happy that they are in a more financially stable place today than they probably were back when they were releasing these RPGs that nobody cared about, <laughs> but, or a very small audience care about. Um, but uh, I do, I do really like the battle system. I love the chain. Like the, the, I think this is like where really the topple break system comes into it's like full with the with the elemental finishers and things like that that combo on top of that. And and it kind of get, gets back to that Botan Kaito's space of just like when the pieces start clicking together. You don't have you don't necessarily have the control over the pieces, but as these pieces come into play, and you start putting them together. You can you can chain yourself up to do crazy damage once you like. But you have to be fast. And recognizing that that opportunity is there and taking advantage of that. And I love that about Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, it's great. But overworld movement, trash with the skill system. I really don't like the skill system. It really makes it really annoying where it's like, I need level 5 strength. Oh, I have level 4 strength on one guy and then a level 5 strength on one guy. So I could technically like combine these two. Or, or maybe that's not the right way to put it. But like, maybe say, for example, I have like three characters that have bonus strength. I'm trying to remember how exactly this works, but basically I, I think I'm misremembering how this works exactly. But basically the problem was, is that you could have, you can need like level five strength, but like for some reason, because of your party composition and what blades were locked to what characters that you could not necessarily get over that level five wall just because of who pulled what blades and who had what equipped. And that was always incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And there are ways to transfer blades around, but at least on like a casual playthrough of that game, it is not something you have a lot of opportunity to do. You get like, I think I got like three of those, 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 those party member blade changes throughout the entire game. So it's really frustrating in that regard, but I do really like the game overall. Um, I think the story is good until the end. The end of the story is really, 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 really disappointing. Um, because it kind of, not to spoil too much, but it kind of just stops being its story and it starts talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 1 in a way that, yes, is connected, but is only connected because they very forcefully shove Xenoblade Chronicles 2 back into Xenoblade Chronicles 1. They take parts of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and say, let's make these line connections here. But I mean, and maybe they plan this out, but it really does not look like they plan this out. It looks like they just kind of shove this in. And so it becomes not a story about Rex. 
and his things going on. They are just kind of there in witness of what's happening in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, which I kind of hate because like it makes it feel like the, the journey was pointless because what happens is what 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 matters is what happens in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, not Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And maybe Xenoblade Chronicles 3 will reframe that and we'll get to see like some kind of different perspective on that. But from a Xenoblade Chronicles 2 solely perspective, the story just kind of screeches to a halt and they say, oh yeah, guys, guess what? Xenoblade Chronicles 1 happened. That's the story now. <laughs> and it's like, why? Why? It's just, I don't know. I think there's a much more graceful way to do that and not ham-fisted way to shove that game into the other game. It feels like they were like, oh, like, whoops, we made Xenoblade Chronicles 1 as this, like, closed thing because we were scared of making anything too open because of Xenosaga, and then now we want to desperately get back in because Xenoblade Chronicles, like, was successful enough, and Nintendo has enough force behind this, and they're committing the resources to this that we can actually build a franchise and start building something bigger. And it kind of leads into my one of my biggest fears with the Xenoblade franchise is that we end up back in that Xenosaga territory of just like we're being way too ambitious on the story. The story doesn't like feel good to listen to like moment to moment. It, it is about you understanding this like greater lore, understanding the philosophy behind it. And like that's how you really get the real chunks of the story rather than the the, the character interactions that are happening on screen and things like that. Again, I realize some people enjoy that, but but for me it's 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 very challenging to really get into that kind of thing. So anyway, Chronicles 2 is an A-rank game though. <laughs> as much as I talk crap about it, the combat system just so good. Most of the characters very good. Um oh one thing I should say world design of that game bad again it's just like the they they lost a lot of the i think uh pathing that xenoblade chronicles one has um and and so you get lost really easily and in a way that i don't particularly like and like it doesn't feel like you're constantly exploring and finding new areas it feels like you're typically getting like wrapped back around and ending up in places that you are already at it's just because of how the world design works and maybe it's a little more i think i think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the open-endedness of xenoblade chronicles x and pair that with the more like um um condensed xenoblade chronicles um uh, one world design and it just did not match up in a way that worked and i think that is kind of how it happened i talk a little bit more about it in one of my xenoblade chronicles a torn of the golden country review actually specifically so my brain says b but my heart says a so we're gonna put that at, at a there xenoblade saga episode 2 and xenoblade chronicles 2 same quality level honestly though like it actually kind of checks out of just like i like the battle system in xenoblade saga episode 2 i like the battle system in xenoblade chronicles 2 a <laughs> so so yeah so the last game on this list that we can actually rank xenoblade chronicles 2 torn of the golden country um this was supposed to be like a dlc pack but in my opinion more or less turned into its own video game um it's very different well not very different but it, it makes a lot of changes to the mechanics of the game overall um so it's like really interesting to play um and it feels like a distinct experience from xenoblade chronicles 2 aesthetically it looks pretty similar although i think they revamped the graphics engine a little bit so it actually looks a little better in some regard um but what's really cool about this game is that it fixes a lot of the progression issues with xenoblade chronicles the skill check system makes a lot more sense in the overworld of like when you can do skill checks in the world you know every character has assigned blades to them there's like a, a nice mix where like in the first game xenoblade chronicles 2 like your blade more or less was just like a decorative piece that just kind of like hanged out behind you while you the main character would like hit things with your sword or whatever um but in xenoblade chronicles uh, torn of the golden country the 
the blade and the, the, the driver is what they're called, if you're not familiar with it. Um, the, so the actual character controlling these blades, which are weapons, essentially, humanoid weapons. But a little late in explaining that. Um, they can they switch back and forth. And the back row one has like a set of skills that they you can't really control, uh, from my memory. But I, I believe you they will use like heals and things like that or like buffs and things like that. So they, they have some use cases. And then you can like very easily switch between the different ones and like combo different like skills and things like that. Um, very cool. The only real problem with the combat system in this game is they hid the um, combo charts. So there's like this, in the first game, you had these elemental combo charts that would appear on screen that would show you like what moves you can use to reach a different combo. I think it was like a really helpful resource a lot of the time. And uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 uh, hides that. They do kind of change some things to make it so you don't end up in any situations where you can't combo out of something so you get stuck waiting until your combo timer runs out you can basically finish off a combo with like a less than ideal move and just do like a more general like burst of damage that isn't like connected to any sort of like special attack um but unfortunately they hide that combo chain so you can't like navigate your way through that chain as easily unfortunately i don't know why they made that decision the world design's way better in this it has more of that traditional like line kind of like the player goes and they're like naturally drawn towards different paths to the areas because this focuses on one like monster that you're on if you don't know the xenoblade series always happen on these like giant monsters or humanoid things um and xenoblade chronicles one it's like a lot of different areas and things like that that are like represent of different like body parts on a big humanoid thing where um Xenoblade Chronicles 2, it's like a bunch of different monsters that you get on and, and, and they're all different shapes. So you can kind of some degree make some connections. Xenoblade Chronicles Torn of the Golden Country focuses on one of those monsters. And because it is like a shorter game at like 20-ish hours, um, you know, you can get more of a feel for that, that, that land. And eventually at the end, they kind of put you at the top of it and you can kind of see just like how everything connects. And it's like a really satisfying feeling. And you can even like jump down the mountain, just like jump down to the area to be like, hey, all these areas are truly connected. It's just, you know, you as the player were, were isolated between them. And I think that's like a really cool aspect of that game. Uh, the town building aspect of Torn of the Golden Country, I think is really good. It really builds that sense of community around that single town. Feels like a kind of mini Xenoblade Chronicles X in that regard. Um, so I have a lot of respect for that aspect of the game. The only real problem I have with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is it is heavily reliant on Xenoblade Chronicles, or Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torn of the Golden Country, is that it's heavily reliant on Xenoblade Chronicles 2 from a storytelling perspective. And I would honestly, 99% tell people to start with Torn of the Golden Country because it is just like a way more better game to onboard with, way better game to play, because Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has like some progression issues at the start where it just takes forever to get going. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torna the Golden Country, though, I should just call it Torna rather than to keep things Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Torna, um, has, has a, a really nice onboarding, but the story is very heavily baked into you knowing what happens in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. That's the one unfortunate side of it, because I do think that if you don't know what Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is from a storytelling perspective, it's going to be pretty unsatisfying as a, as a tale overall, because it is more or less just filling in some gaps than it is like telling its own tale on, on its own. So, Obviously, that's something that I can't necessarily say 100% myself as somebody who played Xenoblade Chronicles 2 first, but that was the impression I got overall from it. So, um, Torna's an S-ranked game. It's great. Um, the only fear I have about Torna is that in a lot of ways, it feels like it takes a lot of things that were good in Xenoblade, or like problematic in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and then puts them in Xenoblade, or in Torna. 
Um, but it makes me question whether or not they had any like real thought behind like this is a better way to do this as much as it is, oh, this is like a, you know, 12 to 20 hour experience. We have to cram this down and make it more accessible. So I guess we'll find out in Xenoblade Chronicles 3 how it goes. If there's anything that's left over some, from Xenoblade Chronicles 2, that's just like, wow, this is a nightmare mechanic. And why do you leave this in? And they're like, oh, it's because we can do a full video game again. Then, then I'll be disappointed. So... Um, so yeah, S rank for that. Um, so, you know, I don't remember how much I've been verbalizing this. So let's just do a quick little rundown here on, uh, what, what video games. Let's start from the bottom, actually. So, um, if you're listening to the audio version, I'm going to just give a quick little, uh, roundup up here. So Xenosaga episode three, F tier, terrible video game. Oh, Xenosaga episode one and two, I have not played either. I hear it's very cool and has some unique mechanics to it from the other Xenosaga games. I think there's a fan translation that was in the work, but might be on hold. I'm not 100% sure, but that is down here as well. There's also some like mobile games and stuff, but we're not going to think about those at the moment. So Xenosaga episode three, though, F tier. I think I can pretty confidently say at this point in my life, at least from my experience in 2008, I did not like that video game at all. Maybe someday I'll revisit it and feel differently, and I hope I do, um, because I'd much rather be positive on that game than negative, because I kind of feel like an asshole being negative about Episode 3. Project Cross Zone, also just not great. A little bit better than Xenosaga Episode 3. I appreciate the combat system in there, but it's just not a good game for that combat system, because it just makes everything even worse in some ways. Um, and I do appreciate like the sampler pack of trying out different characters. So that's the D, D tier project cross zone C tier disaster day of crisis. The weirdo outlier that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of these other than it's made by the developers. I do love me some disaster day of crisis though. I appreciate you disaster day of crisis. Not an amazing game, not an amazing Wii game, but it's a very cool game. Um, overall, I think Xeno gears. I think I appreciate that. It's also the C level. Appreciate that from a, like a, a historical relevance perspective, but personally, just not super into Xenogears. I'd probably more of my my feelings would be putting it net. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a better game than Project Cross at the very least. So maybe C is a good place for it. So for me at least. Bonkaitos Origins, B tier. I think this is the game that just solidified for me that I love when Monolith Soft is doing new video game ideas and making new battle systems. And the more we stay on the Xenoblade line, the less happy I am with Xenoblade Chronicles games, but still very much enjoy their new battle systems. Just keep making it diverse enough. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 looks like it has a really diverse battle system, so really hope for, but this game haunts me in some ways because of that. But still, Botanicus Origins, very cool game, very fun game overall, um, and I would definitely recommend playing it if you uh, like the first game a lot. Just don't, you know, don't expect as much out of the, from the first game. A little more, a little more streamlined though. So if you are like, hey, maybe Botanicus is a little, a little too janky for me, Origins might be a good fit for you. So you know, so I got episode one. Uh, again, I just remember really liking the battle system of this game. I will say I do not really like have a strong memory of this game at this point, but I remember enjoying it quite a bit and the battle system was a key component there. Remember the story not being like so obtuse that I couldn't really follow it in that entry, probably because it was laying kind of the foundation for a lot of the story stuff, but B tier for that. Super Robot Tyson, Endless Frontier, OG uh, Saga, sorry, Super Robot Tyson, Original Generation Saga, Endless Frontier, B rank with that one. Again, very cool combat system, uh, a little a little mediocre on the story and dungeon design, but characters are great in there as well. Very flashy game too, I should say. Great soundtrack as well, I should also say. Um, highly recommend that, that game. I mean, I'm going to highly recommend most of these games probably, but if you, I mean, I imagine that's a game that a lot of Model Soft fans have not played, so that is one that I would say definitely check that out though. Xenoblade Chronicles X. Xenoblade Chronicles X? 
another one that I'm like super a lot of respect for this game. Maybe not quite for me because I'm not a huge open world game fan, but I do enjoy the tone of the game. I do love the world building of this game. I think the characters are very good despite the kind of disjointed nature of the quest structure. Um, and, and overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, combat system is, has a lot more depth to it than you expect. It does deviate away from what Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is, but it is definitely based in that foundation. So, um, you know, I, 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 again, I, I, I would always prefer a new unique combat system, but I think they at least make effort here to make this game stand out from Xenoblade Chronicles 1. A rank. I'm sure this is going to make some people very happy. <laughs> Xenosaga Episode 2, that battle system, man. Uh, that my memory is that I love it. Um, you know, again, this is one of those things where it's like back in like 2008, 2007 when I played it. But I do remember liking the battle system a lot. If that one story that was a Rubedo, um, the uh, Albedo, Al- what is it? <laughs> the the red, black, and white hair kid. If that story is in that game um, where they're like in the little detention center thing, I do really enjoy that part of that game too. Maybe bump this down to a B if that's not a part of that though. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, A rank really great battle system um a lot of problems in this game i'm very very impressed people like this video game i thought this was gonna be one of those cases where i was just like stuck being like oh i'm the only one liking this video game because it's so janky and messed up in a lot of ways um in terms of like structure design progression and all that stuff but people liked it so hey man welcome aboard <laughs> the monolith train <laughs> I'm very glad the Xeno franchise is very much, our Xeno fan base is very much thriving though. Um, again, I just have a hard time really relating to a lot of the Xeno franchise fan bases, um, fan base, but I, I, I do appreciate and respect them for being there. And uh, I hope we get along if you, if you, if you are a Xeno fan. I hope we get along. <laughs> bon Kaito's origin, or Bon Kaito's the original one. S tier, S rank, maybe the best Monosoft game. I, I think this is, if I had to like throw every single video game off this list into a pile and catch it on fire and be like, never again, Bon Kaitos would be the one I would save and, and hold dearly to my heart. I'm pretty sure. Love that game. Very cool battle system. Beautiful aesthetically. Cool dungeons. Characters are a little iffy, but I do still remember liking them. Um, and story, again, a little iffy, but overall there does some really cool things with the storytelling that I think are are, are worth um, 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 looking at. And so, like, if you're a Xeno fan and you have not played Bot and Kytos, do it. Unless you're looking for, like, the like, weird biblical stuff, then maybe don't. But if you're, like, like the other parts of Monolith Soft games as well, Bot and Kytos, 100%, you should play that game. Xenoblade Chronicles 1, um, again, just a ton of respect for this game because I think this is really just kind of like the, I guess, epitome of what Monolith Soft game design is. Um, I think this is everything be- them they're doing they're doing it right in a lot of ways. Mem- I had a couple of experiences with, the, with with you know not being able to really feel like I fully utilized the battle system, but you know I think if I went back to it today, I probably would feel pretty differently. Um, again, this is S rank all by the way. I can't forget if I said the S rank. We went from Xenosaga Episode Two and Xenoblade Chronicles Two were at A ranks. Bon Kaito is S rank. Xenoblade Chronicles normal S rank as well. So, anyways, very cool game. S rank. Torn of the Golden Country. Really well done overall. Story is iffy because it is very heavily reliant on Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Technically, it's DLC, but you can buy it separately and play it separately. I think a great entry point for the series if you're looking to start up the game, uh, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Very low um, um, commitment uh, uh, story-wise, or uh, game-wise as well. So if you like don't like have a strong need to, to be up and up on the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 story, 
um, and you are okay just like kind of running the ride and enjoying the characters that are in the game and, and enjoying the dynamics that are in the game, I highly recommend Tornick Golden Country as a first uh, model of soft game for people um, because I think it's very accessible. But yeah, that's my tier list there. Um, I think the only ones that might turn heads on here are the Xeno Saga games, two and three specifically. I think the rest on here might be pretty reasonable though. I think most, well, Xeno Gears, I think people will not like me for my Xeno Gears opinion on that. But um, hopefully I explained myself though, if you did watch this and you enjoy that. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of what I plan to play next, Soma Bringer after Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is still very high on my list of wanting to play that. Um, I think uh, Exceed is also pretty high on my list as well. Um, and then I think Namco X Capcom is personally more interesting to me than Project Cross Zone 2. Um, and then Project Cross Zone 2, maybe I'll play it before I die. Who can say? Anyways, still hoping that that Monolithsoft new IP actually becomes a video game. They did announce something a while ago on their like uh, production page or whatever. We'll see if that ever comes into play, but you know, I kind of doubt it at this point. I feel like Xenoblade is just too successful, but I will continue to enjoy the Xenoblade games while I can. Uh, if I get like disappointed enough, I'll go back to being a Triace fan or something. So, anyways, I know that was long, but thank you again for sticking around. OneControlWar.com is the website. Um, again, I did a Castlevania-like video for this in the past. I also um, uh, have done Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 2, Xenoblade Chronicles Tournament of the Golden Country, and Xenoblade Chronicles X reviews that you can find. So I'll link those in some ways. At least they'll be in the description. Um, but otherwise, thank you again. I will see you guys next week. And I appreciate you for coming. Bye!